Well, this morning we are going to continue uh, with the series that we've been in this summer, Living in Babylon, as we're studying through the book of Daniel. And we've been asking this question over and over and over again every week, and it's this. How do we live for God's kingdom when we reside in this kingdom? How do we stay faithful to him in a world that so often is taking us a totally different direction? How do we do that? And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to dig into two characteristics that fly in the face of culture. <laughs> These are characteristics that culture doesn't always value. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, right, if we're going to be able to endure in our faith, then these have to be a part of our life. And so our response to Christ, what he is, we sung about already, what you've done for us, God, you've done so much for us. The response must be the same, God. We will do whatever you ask of us. And here's two things we're going to talk about. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read uh, just a few verses together here. Daniel 6, verse 1 says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. This is the kingdom of Babylon, or, uh, Persia at the time. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by exceptionally, exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray in these moments that we have together, God, that it wouldn't be my words, but we would hear your voice, and then we'd walk out of this place different. We pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can maybe be seated. Uh, now, when we're kids, think about it. When you're a kid, uh, you all looked up to somebody. We all look up to somebody, right? Maybe you look up to one of your siblings, your older brother, your older sister. Maybe you look up to a parent. You look up to a grandparent. Maybe you look up to a movie star. Maybe you look up to a sports figure, right? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 20 seconds. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and here's what I want you to do. Who is it that you looked up to when you were a kid? Turn to your neighbor and talk to him. Tell him, who'd you look up to when you were a kid? Some of you are still kids, so. <laughs> All right. All right, I'm going to have you ask another question, okay? Stop for a second. Here's a new question, okay? Not when you were a kid. Who do you look up to today? Talk to your neighbor. Who do you like? Jesus. Somebody just got the right answer. <laughs> Other than Jesus, who is somebody you look up to today? <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, I think who you look up to matters. Who you look up to matters. Why? Because it ultimately will guide your life. Uh, you know, why do we get so concerned about who our kids are looking up to or the role models that our kids have? It matters because we know that that will affect the direction of their life, the course of their life, who they are, what they value, what they think is important. It's, that's what happens. And so for me, who I have looked up to has changed throughout the course of my life. Now, when I was a kid, it was the athletes, and I was a Chicago boy, so I wore my bull shirt today, <laughs> right? 
And so uh, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan as a kid, okay? And he, I thought he was amazing. He's the greatest athlete ever. He's so awesome. I want to be like Michael Jordan. Somewhere along the line, I realized I wasn't going to be Michael Jordan. And so I gave that dream up, okay? And so when I get into my 20s and I'm thinking, okay, who do I look up to? Who do I value now? I looked up to a lot of times people like in the business world, people who had accomplished great things, these amazing leaders. And me being a, a pastor and being in the church, I would look up to great pastors who had led these amazing ministries or led all these churches and all these kind of things. This was the thing that I value. But as I've gotten a little bit older, hopefully I've got a little bit wiser, and it's changed who I look up to. And I'm going to talk about that in a few moments, and I, I hope that you see this. This is something that all of us need to get a hold of. Now, in the world that we live in, what do we value? We value the sensational. How many saw what Jeff Bezos did this past week, right? He made headlines. He blew himself into space. That was awesome, right? I don't know how many billions of dollars he spent to do that, but that was awesome, okay? But we like the sensational. He could have done that. He didn't just do it. He made sure there were cameras there to catch it, right? You want to, you want to be seen. You want to be known. That's the world we live in. How can I make a name for myself? When it gets to things like social media, it's like, how can I build my platform? I get more followers to see what I've got going on, right? I want to make a name. I want to be important in some way. And this is what we value in our world. And this, unfortunately, that same mindset can oftentimes slip into spiritual things. And we've seen it happen even in the church world, haven't we? We've seen people who are called to be pastors, called to, to serve, right? Called to lay themselves down, to care for other people. Called to do those things. Called to reach lost people and instead have leveraged the church to build their own platform. Leveraged the church for themselves. They haven't made it about him. They've made it about themselves. We've also, I've watched that my whole life. I've seen that happen over and over and over again because we want to be it to be all about us we want it to be all about my name and when we look at the character of Daniel what we're going to see is a, a completely different shift a different focus about what matters and what God desires for our lives and so we uh, we always have a big so what every, so what every week so what what's the point of this thing usually I end with it this morning we're going to start with it and we're going to build from there all right so if you're taking notes here it is the big so what is God desires less weeds and more trees Less weeds and more trees. What do I mean? God desires less weeds. I hate weeds. Anybody else hate weeds? Okay. Hate weeds. Drive me crazy. I think weeds are like mosquitoes, right? Someday I'm going to get to heaven and say, God, why? Right? Like, why? Why did we need these things? I'm sure, I know there's important value, but they're just frustrating at times. And one of the biggest frustrations I have, at least in my own lawn, is how quickly they can sprout up, right? Like, they sprout up all over the place. This is fast. Overnight, like, there's a weed again. I, I mow the lawn. The next day, the dandelions are sticking up again. How did this happen? Drives me crazy. My lawn is dead, but there's still green weeds in my lawn. It drives me nuts. Like, I might as well just grow weeds in the yard. It would be a lot faster, okay? But, but here's the deal. Weeds, although they can sprout up quickly, they also don't last real long. Weeds have a shorter lifespan. I, you may not know this, but most weeds only last for a season. We've got weeds that pop up in the spring. We've got leaves that work through the summer. We've got weeds that pop up in the in this fall time. There's these different seasons of weeds. And so we measure the length of a weed in days and weeks. That's how we do it. Trees are different, though. Has anybody ever tried to grow a tree before? <laughs> tried to grow a tree. Okay, some of you tried to grow a tree. Like, this is not something you do overnight, you know? Trees, you know, you don't plant a tree for tomorrow. You plant a tree for 10 years from now, right? You're planning this thing's going to take some time. Like, it ain't going to happen overnight. You don't measure the length of a tree in days and weeks. You measure it in years and decades. That's how you measure a tree. So God desires less weeds and more trees. God's not interested in the things that man is oftentimes interested in. 
We get so interested in the flashy, in the sensational, in the things that can make a splash. But God's looking for people who are faithful. The ones who daily are faithful, who persevere, who endure, who are in this for the long haul, not just in this to make a splash, right? That's what God desires. And as we look at the life of Daniel, we're going to see a couple characteristics that show this is how you do that. How can we accomplish that? We can say, oh God, you've saved us, you've redeemed us. Okay, but are we going to endure? Are we going to be able to persevere? We're going to need a few things, all right? So my, fa- my favorite verse in the book of Daniel, uh, and I'm sure this is all of your favorite verse in the book of Daniel, is found in the very last verse of chapter 1, and it says this, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. <laughs> Isn't that good? We're going to memorize this week. And this week, when you are struggling, you can quote this verse to yourself, and it will lift your spirits, Okay? If you don't understand what's going on in the book of Daniel, you're like, what in the world? Why is this an exciting verse? Well, here's what happens. This is the end of chapter one. Daniel is a nobody. He's a teenager in the city of Jerusalem, all right? And the Babylonians have come and destroyed Jerusalem, and they exiled the people of God over to Babylon. And most likely, Daniel is a teenager when this takes place, probably his late teens. Why? Because of what happens in the rest of the story. So he's brought, he's a nobody teenager, a Jerusalem teenager in the most powerful nation on earth at the time. Nobody cares about him. He's not doing anything that matters, all right? It reminds me of a meme that I saw. Uh, this past week, maybe you have seen it. There's a picture, maybe you've seen it. It's a picture of a lifeguard uh, sitting rather disgruntled, and they're sitting around one of the Olympic pools. They're sitting right next to it and just looking like bored out of his mind. And it says, when you think what you do, do doesn't matter, just realize there is a lifeguard at the Olympics. <laughs> like, for Olympic, and I was looking last night, there is, at the Olympic swimming, there's a guy sitting there, has nothing to do, okay? If you can't swim, you shouldn't be in the Olympics, right? But this is who Daniel is. He's a nobody. Nobody cares about him. Yet what happens? He endured. There was a king. Remember that first guy, Nebuchadnezzar? Well, there were three more kings of Babylon after him. And then Babylon got destroyed. And there were two kings that Daniel saw. So Daniel, this nobody, right? When he gets to the end of the story, he's 80 years old. This nobody who should have been forgotten, what happens? He makes it through six kings, two ruling kingdoms, exile, threat of his life on multiple occasions, and next week he makes it through the lion's den. This is a guy who endured, who showed faithfulness, who persevered. He wasn't a weed that sprouted up like all the amazing kings who were so powerful and ended up fading away. No, he was one of these trees that endured. That speak, we speak about this in Isaiah chapter 61 where it talks about the people of God and this is God's desire. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. That's God's desire for us, that we would be trees of righteousness that last that endure, that persevere. So how do we do that? Two things. If you're taking notes, point one in your notes is this. Pursue integrity. Pursue integrity. You want to be a tree that lasts? Pursue integrity. It says that there were two things. First, it says he wasn't corrupt. There was nothing in him that was corrupt. What is integrity? I'm sure most of us, we think about integrity, we think about, oh, this is somebody who's honest, who has strong morals. That's one of the definitions. But another definition to understand of integrity is this, the state of being whole and undivided and having an internal consistency. What does that mean? It means you're the same. Doesn't matter how we dice you up, you get the same thing everywhere. 
There aren't corners to your life where, hey, you're divided. Hey, this part of me is over here, and this part of me thinks something totally different. I act different, you know? You know, in the world that we live in, some, you might have different friends. I get, my guess is you've got different friends, and you've got some friends. You're like, you sit around and read books together, but these friends you go be crazy with, and these are the friends you have jokes with, and these are the ones you crochet with. There's different friends, and maybe per- certain parts of your personality come out with different friends. That's totally fine. But if we're not careful, what can happen is that here's my Christian friends, Here's my spiritual friends, and these are my party friends, right? These are my drinking buddies. These are the ones I go crazy with a little bit. If you're not careful, what's happened? You've just divided yourself. You've lost integrity. You're not the same through and through. It depends on who you're with. And and if we're not careful, that then seeps into who we are. And there's parts of our life where if you diced me up, you're like, oh, there's all of me that loves Jesus except this little corner over here. I like to keep this stuff to myself, right? This part of my life, I don't know, Jesus, you don't get this part. That's lacking integrity. And here's what happens in our lives. When we lack integrity, when we're, there isn't this sense of wholeness, of being undivided, listen, you are setting yourself up for a moment of failure. You are setting yourself up for a moment where that becomes exposed. That's what, when we talk about spiritual leaders who have fallen, here's why that has happened. It has happened because at some point along the way, they said, I don't care about my integrity. I'm going to allow myself to be divided. And as that grows and grows, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, compromise breeds compromise. If you allow compromise in a corner of your life, you say this part's going to be divided. That starts to grow, and eventually you are going to fall. That's what happens. If we want to be those that don't just sprout up and fall away because we know that's what's normal. Instead, if we want to be oaks of righteousness, then we have to pursue integrity, pursue wholeness. When we find corners of our life that are in conflict with following Christ, then we have to bring that under his authority and say, God, shape me, change me. I don't want to allow this in my life. I don't want to be a person who is divided in any way. I want to be a person of integrity. How do we do that? Because I think a lot of times the the, the pressures from the outside, okay? How do we overcome the pressures from the outside? I think it requires us to have something on the inside, and it's this, firm convictions. This is what we see in Daniel. Over and over, his life is put on the line, but he had a firm conviction. He was allowed, you know, there were certain things like, hey, I'm okay, I'm gonna come into the court of the king, I'm gonna have to learn some things maybe I don't agree with, but I can do those things, but when it comes down to who do I serve, I've got a firm conviction there. I'm not breaking that thing. It doesn't matter what the pressure is on the outside. I'm willing to give my life over this one. There are firm convictions. The things that are like the non-negotiables. What are your non-negotiables? What are the areas in your life where you say, this is my firm conviction? My guess is for some of us, we have some of those. Maybe you say, I want to be an honest person. Listen, if you have a firm conviction to be an honest person, there's going to be times where that honesty is challenged. And it's going to be far more convenient to be dishonest in that moment. And if you're saying, no, my conviction is, then it says, you know what, I don't really care if it's inconvenient to me. I'm going to be an honest person right now. I'm going to speak the truth, even though I don't necessarily want to. Some of you say, I want to be a generous person. That's who I want to be. I want to be a gen- I have the conviction to be a generous person. There's going to be plenty of times where being generous is not what you want to do. You want to hold. You don't want to give. But no, you say, no, it does not matter what the pressures on the outside are. I have a conviction, and I am living from my conviction, not from the pressure. I'm not being brought into something. I'm saying, this is who I am. For some of you, you have a desire to be maybe a good parent. Hear this. There's going to be times where you don't want to be a good parent, okay? And you parents, you you come home, you've had a long day, and what do you want to do? You want to hand them an electronic and say, go entertain yourself. Anybody ever thought that before, okay? I'm not the only horrible parent in the room. Good. 
But if we have a conviction that says, no, no, I am going to be a good parent. I want to I lead them well. Then in those moments when it's not convenient, when I don't want to do it, I say, no, I have this conviction in my heart. And I'm going to be a person of integrity that even when I don't want to, I'm going to be that. Like for me, what is mine? Like I have a lot of firm convictions and I probably screw them all up at certain times. But one of them is that out of Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a firm conviction. You know what? Sometimes that's not convenient. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes I'd rather say, you know what, God, on this one, let's do something else. But no, we're going to serve the Lord. Means we say no sometimes. Means we're going to screw it up sometimes. But when we screw it up, we're going to come back and say, God, forgive me. I'm re- I, w- I want to turn to you again, right? But if we're going to be people of an integrity, it, it demands us to have what are your firm convictions that you are going to hold to? What are the things that are non negotiables in your life? And commit to those things. Don't allow yourself to be shifted by, based on what's going on around you. Instead, we say, no, this is who God calls me to be. And this is what we saw in Daniel. We have to be those types of people. But the second thing is almost as important. It's this. We've got to take responsibility. Pursue integrity. That's important if we're going to last, if we're going to be those oaks of righteousness. But we also have to take responsibility. It says two things about him. He says he was neither corrupt, meaning he had integrity, neither corrupt nor negligent. What does that mean? He was faithful with what was put in his hands. Whatever was put in his hand, he said, I will take responsibility for the things that are in my hands. We live in a world that doesn't like to do that. (laughs) We like to blame someone else. This is your problem. Why did you do this to me? Why did you cause this? This is your fault. But no, if we're going to be followers of Christ that endure, we can't be looking to pass the buck. We're going to blame somebody else. No, we say, no, God, I'm going to take responsibility, not for just anything. I'm going to take responsibility for what you have put into my hands. Some of you heard the story of the parable of the talents, right? Okay, and just in case you don't know, this is a story Jesus told. Talents is not like they could sing like, oh, I'm a great singer. Talent is a measurement of gold, okay? That's what the story is, all right? So there's this story where Jesus said, all right, there's a master, there's a leader, okay? And he says, he calls his servants in. He says, all right, I'm, I'm heading out for a while, guys. I'm going to give you five talents of gold. Okay, I'm going to give you two talents of gold. I'm going to give you one talent of gold. All right, do something with it. I'm going to be gone. Comes back. You know the story. What happens? The guy with the five talents comes and said, hey, look what I did. I had five talents. Now I got five more, so I got ten talents of gold. He's like, awesome, well done, good and faithful servant. Next one comes up. I had two talents. I got two more. He's like, awesome, that's great, well done, good and faithful servant. The one talent comes, you know what happens. He comes up and he's like, ah, I didn't do anything. I was afraid I'd lose it or something, so I buried it in the sand. Here you go, right? He's like, you wicked and lazy servant, right? What do we learn with this story? You are faithful, or you must be faithful and take responsibility for what is placed into your hands because you are responsible for that. You are going to be accountable for what is placed into your hands. But the thing that is freeing in this story is you aren't accountable for what's placed in somebody else's hands. See, when you read the story, you're like, well, I'm the one-talent guy. What about the guy with the five talents? I want to be like that guy. You're not responsible for that. What are you responsible? For the one talent that's put in your hand. That's it. You don't have to sit and feel bad about yourself. Oh, no, listen, the five-talent guy, they got a lot to be responsible for, right? It's just like Paul talks about in Scripture. Me as a teacher of the Word, I'm more responsible than you are because I'm communicating this truth. One day I'm going to stand before God and I am, I'm accountable to the words coming out of my mouth right now. Okay, that's a sobering reality for me. 
But in the same way, you are accountable for what God puts into your hands. So rather than looking at everybody else, you say, no, God, what have you given me? What have you put into my hands? How can I be faithful in those things? Whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's experiences, whatever it is, how can I be faithful with the things you've taught me, the things you've revealed to me, the opportunities that I've had in my life? How do I leverage them for your glory rather than use them for myself? How can I take responsibility? There's a picture, uh, this comes out of a, a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've never read it, it's a great book. It's a classic. And uh, I think this is going to set somebody free here this morning. If you don't get anything else, I think this is going to set somebody free this morning. And so, so this is for you, all right? So this is called the, uh, the circle of influence versus the circle of concern. You've got two circles here, okay? The first one is we have the circle of influence, maybe the circle of uh, control, things that we can control, things that we have influence over. And you have those things in your life, Right? You have the things that are like, I can do something about this. I can impact this. That's great. But then we have the circle of uh, concern. And it's much bigger than the circus, circle of control. Like there's a lot of things that you're concerned about. Like that, that, that move you. Like that, that maybe worry you. All those kind of things. But they're in a realm where there's nothing you can do about it. Right? Like I, I can't actually impact these things, but I'm concerned. I can pray about it, but outside of praying, there's nothing I can do to actually impact the things in here. And here's the problem that we have in life, is so often we stress out and worry about things that are in this circle that we have no control over, but it's freaking us out. We can't sleep at night, we're feeling overwhelmed, but there's nothing you can do about that. So why are you doing it? Why are you freaking out? That's not helping you. Let it go. Let that there. Pray it and let it go, Okay. But on the flip side, we have the opposite problem. The things that we do have control over, we don't do anything about. Like you've got stuff in your life you, you're frustrated by. It's, a, it's something that's always kind of nagging at you, but you've done nothing about it. And the call here as a follower of Christ is, is to let go of the things that you can't control. Put them into God's hand and let it go. But you are responsible for the things that you can control. I used this illustration, remember we talked back in the marriage series a couple months ago, and I said marriage is a perfect example for this, okay? Because a lot of times you think, oh, my marriage, this is something, no, no, your marriage doesn't go there. Your marriage goes here. Because you ultimately don't have control as to whether you have a good marriage or not. What do you have control over? Whether you're a good husband or a good wife. That's your response. But what happens so often in relationships? We're all, we're all freaking about our marriage, but not taking responsibility for what we can control in the relationship. We're blaming the other person. Why don't they do something? Why don't they fix their stuff and get their junk together? No, no, no. You can't control that. Pray for them. Believe in them. But take care of yourself, because that's all you can do. Okay? So this is the call. What does it look like? And so I think that for some of us, this morning I want to ask the question, where do you need to take responsibility in your life? You want to endure? You want to, you want to last for the long haul? Then there may be some things you need to take responsibility for. One of the main things is this, your, your personal faith. Your personal faith. A lot of people are like, I don't feel close to God. I feel so far from God right now. Yeah, well, have you been investing in your relationship with God? Have you been praying? Have you been reading God's word? Have you been coming to church? Not just showing up like once every three weeks because it's convenient for you or, you know, whenever your schedule allows. Do you build this into your life as a part of your week to say, God, this is so important. I must grow in my faith. It's more important than anything else. Take responsibility for your faith, okay? But it's more than that. Maybe you need to take responsibility just for your own health. My guess is there's some people in the room like mentally, you are not there because you're not, you're not pushing yourself. You haven't been learning. You haven't been growing. For some of you emotionally, you're struggling emotionally. And I get it, man. This has been a hard year for so many people. But some of us, we have this struggle. We know it's an issue, and yet we haven't sought out help to help us get through this. 
Some of you need to take the step to go to counseling. Some of you need to have influence some way, like something to, to help lead you into a healthy place. But are you doing that? Take responsibility for it. For others, it, it's an issue of physical. Maybe you haven't taken the responsibility physically. You're not eating like you should. You're not exercising like you should. It's the simple things in life. You need to do that. You feel bad. Okay, eat, eat broccoli. Stop eating Twinkies, you know? It's the little things in life. Or, yeah. <laughs> I feel like someone's meddling with me right now. And I don't appreciate that. <laughs> Inside joke. I like cosmic brownies in case you didn't know. So, um, There we go. I get a witness out there. That's good. But maybe it's more than physical. Like maybe, maybe you are experiencing an addiction of some sort. And you just, you haven't done anything about it. You're just living in that addiction. Okay? Take responsibility. You need help. Get help. Seek help. All right? Maybe it's an issue of relationships. You've got relationships that are struggling. Again, you haven't taken responsibility for your part. You're blaming the other person, but you are not owning your challenges. Take responsibility. You want to make it for the long haul. You can't keep passing the buck to somebody else. You have to take responsibility yourself. But it's more than that. Maybe it's just issues, like I said. Some of you have been, you've been gifted. God has placed things in your hand. You know, you ain't a singer. It wasn't the talent of singing that you were given. But some other talent was given to you. Other skills were given to you, but you're not doing anything with them. You've buried them. For some of you, financially, God has blessed you. You're in a point in your life where you financially are doing better than you ever have before. But you're not leveraging it for his kingdom. You're using it for yourself. You're not taking responsibility and saying, God, make me a good steward of this thing. Same with time. Some of you are retired. You got more time than you've ever had before but you're not using it to pour out to other people. You're using it just to kind of be. And what is God saying? Listen, you've got to take responsibility. Someday you're going to give an account. So are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be those people that that endure, those ones that are oaks of righteousness that last, that are faithful through every season? It demands two things, that we pursue integrity, that we are whole, but it also demands that we take responsibility at every moment the things that God has put into our hands. Daniel did this over and over. We saw the integrity. We saw him take advantage of the circumstances to say, God, I will be used. Even though it's not easy, even though it's hard and challenging, I will be used. I will use what you've given me for your glory. All right. So I want to wrap uh, this message up here with a, just a very clear challenge for you. And, uh, and this is the challenge that I give us. It's this, think long and finish well. Think long and finish well. We like to think instant. We don't like to think long. We like to think tomorrow. We like to think fast, right? We don't like to think long. Why do so many people get to retirement and they got no money? Because they were not thinking long. They were thinking instant. And the same is true in our faith. It's saying, God, God, I don't want to have this instant gratification. Like, how can I be the sensational one? How can I make the splash? God, I want to think long. I want to think eternal. And I put it in the, into this kind of realm for most of you. You say, 100 years from now, most of us ain't going to be here, okay? 100 years from now. But the only thing that matters 100 years from now is your relationship with God, your relationships that you've invested in, and the way that you've poured your life out to other people. Other people are going to be spending your money. Other people are going to be living in that house that you spend so much time trying to take care of. You know, other people are going to be, nobody's going to be driving your car. Sorry, your car ain't going to last that long. Dear Jesus, it'd be awesome if it did, but it didn't. Okay, but there's lots of stuff, right? There's lots of stuff that doesn't matter. We invest our time and our energy. It doesn't matter. But the way that you pour yourself out into other people, the way that you care for other people, the way that you invest in God's kingdom, that's the stuff that matters. And so first, we're going to think long. We're also going to finish well. 
We're going to finish well. And this is the part that has changed in my mind. Because as I shared earlier, um, who I look up to has changed. When I was younger, it was this, the flashy. It was the sensational. It was the people who were doing the amazing thing. But it was just a, it was a couple months ago, I was sitting and looking at some of the people that I used to look up to. And there was about six pastoral, spiritual leader types that I looked up to about 15 to 18 years ago. And since then, four of those six are no longer in ministry because of something that has disqualified them. And I look at their lives and I say, God, I don't, I don't want to be that. I'm not really interested in, in building the big flashy thing. I'm, I'm interested in being faithful to you, God. I want to be faithful to you. I don't want to just do it on the stage. I want to do it in the back room when nobody sees. If you dice me up, I want you to get the same thing in every corner of my life. And I'm not that, guys. I'm not. Trust me, there's things in my life, I'm sure there's times where I'm, I would just be embarrassed if you knew how immature I still can be. But hear this with all of my heart, that's my passion, that that's who I would be in every way. God, keep shaping me, keep molding me. And when I look up to heroes, I don't look up to the flashy anymore. I look up to the people who finish well. The ones who endured, the ones who persevered, the ones who said, you know what, it wasn't always easy, but I'm not here to leave my mark. I'm here to, to glorify God, to be an oak of righteousness that endures, not a weed that's here today and gone tomorrow. One of the heroes that, um, that I've had in my life, Amber and I both have had in our lives, is someone that unfortunately we're gonna be uh, a part of their funeral this afternoon. Uh, and this is somebody that we have loved dearly. Uh, we served under Jerry and Kathy Strangquist uh, for 12 years at our previous church. Amazing people. And Kathy unexpectedly passed away uh, just over a week ago. When you think about heroes, you think about, you know, again, the, the person who does all the stuff. And honestly, Kathy was that person. When you think about heroes, she was amazing. Like every woman that came encountered with her, like she was just awesome. She was like the most elegant, classy lady you would ever meet. You know, when she would talk, it was just like, I need to write everything you're saying down right now. It's, it's that great, you know. And people looked up to her. I mean, she was, her dad was a pastor, and so she lived as a pastor's kid. And, and trust me, it's not easy being a pastor's kid. Like, I try to protect my kids because I know it's not always easy for them. There's perks for being a pastor's kid, but there's also times when it's hard. And she was a pastor's kid for her whole life. And then she immediately stepped in and marries Jerry, and for 50 years, they're in ministry together as a pastor's wife and, and serving and pouring her life out over and over and over again. And she made such a difference in so many's life. Like, you don't realize how your lives are being impacted because of her ministry in our lives, how she impacted Amber, okay? Her, her legacy is living on. But I think the greatest moment uh, that identifies what I'm talking about today wasn't on a stage somewhere. It didn't take, take place when the lights were on. See, it was about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, Amber and I had a house fire. And, you know, we lost our house. And so for like six months, we we're living somewhere else. And uh, they rebuilt our house. And so just before we moved back into the new house, if you ever had it, built a house before, it's a disaster. It's, there's construction dust everywhere. And so you have to clean the house before you can move in. And usually that's the kind of thing you buy some pizzas and get some teenagers to come help you do the cleaning. Um, and we are on staff at this church, and we ask, you know, we need some help. Hey, we need some help. And none other than Kathy Strangquist amid some other ladies came and cleaned our house out, you know, just on their knees doing this. And there's a picture that captures who Kathy was, and it's this. Amazing woman, amazing woman. She's on her knees in a rock-bedded, 
you know, little thing here, cleaning my windows out in a window well. And you would say, if you knew Kathy and who she was on the stage, you'd say she should not be in there doing that. But Kathy didn't talk about being a servant. She was a servant. She didn't talk about being faithful to God. She was faithful in everything. She didn't talk about laying herself down. She would lay herself down. She would be the first one to care for someone, and she finished well. She is someone that I look up and say, I want to be that. I don't care how flashy I am. I don't care how, you know, everybody looks at me. Look how great you are, Greg. No, I want to be faithful to the end. And if we are going to be anything as a church, that's what I want us to be. The ones who are faithful to the end. The ones that think long and finish well. We think long and finish well. Listen, some of you are new to faith in the last year, in the last two years. And it's really easy in those moments when it gets hard to say, eh, this whole Jesus thing doesn't quite get it done, right? It's not what I thought it was. He's not making all my life better. Listen, he ain't going to make all your life better. But newsflash, it ain't about you. It's about him and about his glory. And so my desire for you is that you think long, that you persevere, that you endure, and that you finish well in your faith. That one day you stand before God, and it's not like, look how many talents I have. No, it's God, I was faithful with what you gave me. God, I laid myself down every day and said, it's about you, it's not about me. That's my desire for us, that we would be those kind of followers of Christ, that we would be the ones that look like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because what did he do? When it was easy to say, ah, I don't want to do this, God, he said, nope, not my will, but yours be done. And when we respond to him, we are not the initiator. We are merely responding to a God who has already given everything for us. He was one who finished well on our behalf. And so we say, God, would you help me to finish well for your glory? That I would pursue you, that I would give everything for you. That's my desire. But it requires faithfulness in the small things. So this morning, I'm not going to try and compel you with some extravagant response. We're going to get very practical. When you walked in the door this morning, you got a little card handed to you. I want you to pull uh, that little white card out for you if you can. If you missed one, just raise a hand. Somebody will come and hand one to you if you didn't quite get one of those cards. If you're with us online, I'm going to put the, the questions up here on the screen for a moment. You might want a piece of paper or take a note out on your phone. You'll notice on this card, there's two questions. And I'm going to give you the next few moments to respond, to really think about these and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and to, and to write down these things, all right? The first question is this, what are the firm convictions I want to live by? Maybe you aren't living by them right now. That's okay. What are the firm convictions you want to live by? The things you want to have integrity around, all right? Write those things down. The second thing is this, where do I need to take responsibility right now? A lot of times we're good like, ah, I'll do that sometime. No, right now. <laughs> you know what it is right now. Write those things down. And I believe God's going to speak to your heart. And we're going to take this from just being theory to being something practical to say, God, I want to be this person. I want to I be an oak of righteousness. I want to endure and persevere 